0: Good morning and welcome to Christ Central. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, Whether you're joining us today on site or online, thank you for joining us and for spending your Sunday morning with us. Well, we've been studying the Gospel of Luke together and we've been calling this series Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. And so we've been watching Jesus. We've been following him around as he moves to the book of Luke, and we've been paying attention to what he does and to what he says. And as we watch Jesus in action, and as we listen to him, te- uh, listen to him teach, my prayer is that we would find Jesus beautiful and compelling, and that we as Christ followers would be more certain of the things that we believe, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he really is the promised Messiah, and that he really is the Savior of the world, and that he really is worth following, no matter how hard that may be, especially at a time like this, during this pandemic, when we're unable to gather as freely and as often as we once did. And Christ Central, I can't tell you just how much I miss you, and I miss our church being able to gather together safely. And I long for the day. I don't know when that day is going to be, but someday soon to be able to gather safely together so that we can worship together and enjoy our fellowship together in Christ. I think one of the hidden blessings that's going to come out of this pandemic is for our church to, to really appreciate maybe all the blessings that we took for granted in the past. And um, it's going to be a sweet day when our church family. Can gather together again. The title of today's sermon is Jesus Delivers a Demoniac. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke to chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 22 to 39. Now in the first part of chapter 8, we listen to Jesus teach as he told and explained the parable of the soils. For the rest of this chapter, we will watch Jesus in action again. And today, we're going to watch Jesus calm a storm and cast out demons from a man. So people of God, please pay careful attention to the Word of God because this is the Word of our God. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. Then they sail to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with that but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep uh, bank into the lake and were drowned." When their herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the garrisons asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how God has done Uh, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. From verse 22 to the end of this chapter, we find a trilogy of stories. These three stories are connected and they're meant to be read together. And Luke's main purpose for these three stories is to show us who Jesus is. Through these three stories, Luke will tell us that Jesus is the Lord. That he is the Lord over all things. In the first story, by calming the storm, Jesus reveals that he is the Lord over the physical realm. That he is the Lord of creation. In the second story, by casting out demons, Jesus reveals that he is the Lord of the spiritual realm. He is the Lord over demons. And in the third and final and climactic story, by healing a bleeding woman and raising a dead girl back to life, Jesus reveals that he is the Lord over disease and death. These three stories show us who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord, and he is the Lord over all the forces that threaten to destroy humanity, whether storms or demons or disease or death. And when those things come to us and threaten us, we can trust Jesus and not be afraid of them because Jesus is Lord over all of those things. You see, Jesus will deliver us. From the forces that seek to destroy us. And He will keep us safe and He will bring us safely home to His heavenly kingdom. And because Jesus is the Lord, because He is with us, because He is for us, we have nothing to fear. For if Christ is for us, who can be against us? No one and nothing. Now, ideally, I would like to have preached a sermon on each one of these stories. But the problem is I only have two Sundays, including today, until Christmas Sunday. And on Christmas Sunday, I have to preach a Christmas sermon. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach on only two of these three stories. Today, I'm going to preach on the second story. And next Sunday, I'll preach on the third story. But since I won't be preaching on the first story of Jesus calming the storm, let me just tell you the kind of the two key highlights from that story that we need to take away so that we can understand the rest of this chapter. First, in verse 25, it poses the key question that all the three stories are concerned to answer. Who then is this? that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. That is the key question that all three stories are concerned to answer. Who is this man? Second... He begins, this story begins to answer that question, to, to give us a partial answer, that Jesus is the Lord over creation, that he is the Lord over the physical realm. He commands winds and water, and they obey him. And since creation only obeys the creator, since the winds and the water obey Jesus, it must mean that Jesus is the Lord God, that he is the creator of creation. And as the creator of the world, Jesus is Lord over the world as well. But it is in the second story that this question will be answered directly and explicitly. The disciples ask the question, and guess who answers the question? A demon-possessed man who confesses, Jesus, you are the Son of the Most High God. And it is on this second story that we're going to focus today. So here's the outline for today's sermon. First, the dehumanizing work of demons. Second, the delivering work of Jesus. And third, the declaring work of the delivered. Okay, those are my three points. First, let's consider what the Bible has to say about demons. So let me ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word demons? Does a scary image of a red person with horns and pitchforks come to your mind? Or some terrifying monster that may look like witches or vampires? What comes to your mind when you think of the word demons? Now it's interesting, the Bible never describes what demons look like. But here's what the Bible does tell us about demons. Let me tell you two things that the Bible tells us about demons. First, demons are real they really exist. There is a spiritual realm where angels and demons and God exists. You see, the physical realm that we can see is not the only realm that there is. There is a spiritual realm that we cannot see with the human eye, but it is just as real as the physical realm. Demons are fallen angels. They were once angels, but they followed Lucifer, the archangel, in his rebellion against God. And God judged them for their rebellion and cast them out of heaven, so that Lucifer became Satan, and those fallen angels became demons and devils. Author C.S. Lewis said something insightful about demons and how we tend to think about demons as human beings. He wrote, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a musician with the same delight. C.S. Lewis is right. We tend to either dismiss demons as the stuff of fiction and ghost stories, or we can become obsessed with them in an unbiblical and unhealthy way where we're afraid of demons. So the first thing that the Bible teaches us about demons is that they are real. They really do exist. Here's a second. Demons hate God. Because Satan and the demons hate God, they attack God by attacking people who are created in his image. They attack God by seeking to distort, degrade, and dehumanize God's image bearers. A New Testament scholar said this, In most of the stories of possession, what is at issue is not merely sickness— but a destruction and distortion of the divine likeness of man according to creation. The center of personality, the volitional and active ego, is inspired by alien powers which seek to ruin man. Demons want to distort, destroy, and ruin men and women. So they will inspire Influence and rejoice over any activity that dehumanizes, degrades, and brutalizes human beings. Demons seek to pain God by attacking those created in his image. Parents understand this kind of pain. You see, as a parent, there is no greater pain in the world than seeing your children, who are in your image, being degraded, demeaned, harmed, or God forbid, destroyed. For me, one of my greatest fears in life is that one of my children might be dehumanized by an abuser. That would be an unbearable pain for me, and it is the kind of parental pain that inspires movies like Taken with Liam Neeson, which basically says, don't ever mess with a man's daughter, ever. Demons want to inflict that kind of pain upon God by dehumanizing, degrading, and destroying people who are created in His own image, who He loves as His children. And friends, that's exactly what the demons did to this man in our story. They dehumanized and degraded him. This is the worst and the most graphic uh, story of demonic possession that we find in all of the Bible. First, the demons possessed him. They possessed the meaning that this man was under the influence and the control of demons. This man did whatever the demons wanted him to do. And let me tell you, whatever the demons wanted him to do was never in the best interest of this man. And because of this demonic possession, he had superhuman strength and he was able to break apart chains and fetters. He was like the incredible Hulk powerful, but out of control. And uncontrollable second the demons dehumanized him the demons had this man degrading himself by having him run around naked they stripped him of his clothes and of his dignity mark gives us another sad detail in his account of the story where he tells us that this man was always crying out and bruising himself with rocks. You see, this, the demons didn't just humiliate this man by degrading him, by degrading him. they also hurt and harmed this man by having him engage in self-destructive behavior, because he was bruising and cutting his own body with rocks. And third, the demons isolated him. This man was homeless. He did not live in a home with his family and friends. He lived among the tombs by himself, far away from his family and friends. The demons would drive him into the desert where he would be all alone. I want you to see how completely and how thoroughly the demons dehumanize this man. First, the demons dehumanized him physically. As humans, we were created for glory and for dignity, but the, but the demons humiliated and harmed him. His body, think about it, was naked and bruised. Second, the demons dehumanized him socially, as, as humans we were created for a community, to live with other people. But the demons had separated and isolated him from his family and friends, from his community. And third, the demons dehumanized him spiritually as humans were created for God to live in communion with God. But this man was cut off from God. He lived among the tombs, and he was never in the temple. The demons dehumanized this poor man in every way, physically, socially, and spiritually. So what is demonic activity? When we think about demonic activity, I think a lot of us may think of movies like The Exorcist, or some super scary, gross thing like that, right? But demonic activity is really any activity that dehumanizes and destroys the dignity and the lives of people who are created in the image of God. Any activity that degrades, defiles, disfigures, distorts, diminishes, debases, dishonors, demeans, disparages, brutalizes, perverts, cheapens, humiliates, and harms a human being is demonic activity. Meaning it is activity that demons love to see. Activities that make demons squeal with delight because God's image bearers are degraded. And dehumanized. Now in the past, some clear examples of demonic activity would be the transatlantic uh, slave trade and the Holocaust, as both of those evil and demonic activities dehumanized, degraded, and destroyed people. In the present, There are lots of demonic activity in the world. Things like pornography, abortion, human trafficking, drug addiction, racism, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, and all forms of injustice and oppression. Those are all demonic activities. Now that does not mean that people who engage in those activities are possessed by demons, but it does mean that they're engaging in activities that demons approve of, and delight over. Listen, especially you men. When you look at pornography, you're not just lusting. You're engaging in demonic activity, in evil activity that dehumanizes and perverts both the producers and the consumers of pornography, in dehumanizing and degrading activity that demons love. So think about that the next time you're tempted to look at porn. But it's not just things like porn and abortion and and human trafficking that are demonic activities. Any activity, any speech that degrades and harms other image bearers of God are demonic activities that demons approve of and support. Think of it this way. If demons and angels were to watch you, Watch how you speak to people. Watch how you treat people. Who would rejoice and who would weep? Would the demons rejoice and the angels weep? Or would the angels rejoice and the demons be upset? You see, there is a spiritual realm. And the angels and the demons, along with God, they're all watching. So I ask you, Does your conduct, does your behavior, does your speech, does your interaction with other human beings who are created in the image of God, does it all please angels or demons? I have a sinful anger problem. Those who are closest to me know that this is true, my family and the people that work with me. And I'm seeing a Christian counselor for this, by the way, because I want to put to death my sinful anger by the power of the gospel. But when I, in my sinful anger, yell at and mistreat my family or my coworkers, making them feel unsafe and unloved and afraid, let me ask you, who do you think that pleases, God or demons? Demons. When I give into and indulge my sinful and selfish anger, do you think that humanizes me and makes me more beautiful? Or do you think that degrades and dehumanizes me and twists me spiritually? The answer is obvious, isn't it? The other day I told the pastors on our staff that I don't want to end up being that guy that is always angry and that eventually drives away everyone that I love and cherish and to end up alone at the end of my life without any real friends. And nothing would make the demons happier than for them to see me become spiritually deformed and distorted because of my sinful anger and to end up all alone because nobody can bear to be around me. So I need to daily repent of my sinful anger and put it to death by the power of the gospel because I do not want to participate in demonic activity, an activity that pleases demons. Friends, I want you to realize that we all participate in demonic activity more than we realize When you say and do things that demons would approve of, you're engaging in demonic activity. Now, you may not be possessed by demons, but you may be pleasing to demons. And isn't that just as bad? So we talked about the dehumanizing work of demons. Next, let's talk about the delivering work of Jesus. When this demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he ran up to Jesus, fell at his feet, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So the question that was raised by the disciples is answered by this demon-possessed man. Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who then is this? Jesus is the Son of the Most High God, and that's why he was able to command even the winds and the water, and they obeyed him. Now, I want you to notice the compassion of Jesus for this demon-possessed man. And we see it when Jesus asked him what his name was. When was the last time anyone bothered to ask this man what his name was? For so long... Do you know what he was? He was that crazy man, that demon-possessed man that you're afraid of. You see, he was not a person to be loved. He was a monster to be afraid of. But by asking him his name, Jesus was humanizing this man. Jesus saw him as a person to be, who needed to be saved and loved. Jesus saw a precious image bearer of God who was possessed by and who was being abused by demons, and Jesus had compassion on him. And the man answered Jesus, saying, Legion. His name was Legion. Now, legion referred to, the, uh, to a Roman legion, which, which consisted of 6,000 soldiers. Now, we don't know if that means that 6,000 demons were in this man, but we do know that many demons were in this man. But as many as the demons were, they trembled in the presence of Jesus. They knew that they had no chance against Jesus. They didn't want to fight Jesus. They begged Jesus to not be tormented They knew who Jesus was, and they knew what power he had as the Son of the Most High God. And notice this also, that Jesus did not call upon the name of God to cast the demons out. Jesus did not say, in the name of the Most High God, I command you to come out. Do you know why? Jesus doesn't have to appeal to a higher power. He is that higher power. So he simply says, come out, because he is that higher power. And, 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 and I want you to see as Jesus gave the demons permission to enter into the herd uh, Mark tells us there's about 2,000 pigs they rush down the steep bank and they get destroyed in the lake and friends that is a, a preview of the judgment and the destruction that awaits Satan and all the demons on the day of judgment we are never to be afraid of demons do you know why? because they are terrified of Jesus. And one day they know that they will be judged and destroyed by Jesus in the eternal abyss in the lake of fire. We do not fear demons because they fear the one who is with us and for us. Amen? So we acknowledge their distance, but we never fear them. Now I want you to see what Jesus did for this man. The work of demons is to degrade and destroy the image of God in man, but the work of Jesus is to redeem and to restore the image of God in man. The work of demons is to degenerate men, but the work of Jesus is to regenerate men. And Jesus undid and reversed all the work of the demons in the life of this man. He was naked, but now he's clothed. He was out of control, but now he's in his right mind and he's at peace. He was terrified of Jesus when he first met him, but now he is seated at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. He lived among the tombs alone, but now he will be returning home to his family and friends. The demons destroyed the image of God in this man, but Jesus restored the image of God in this man. The demons destroyed dehumanized him, but Jesus rehumanized him. See the beautiful transformation of this man as Jesus delivered and liberated him from the control and the influence of demons. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's at peace, and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Do you know what that means? He's finally in communion with God again. This man is exhibit A, of Jesus' saving and transforming power as Jesus restored him in every way, physically, socially, and spiritually. But it would cost our Savior, Jesus, dearly to save and restore this man. You see, at the end of Luke, we're going to see Jesus exchanging places with this man. On the cross, it will be Jesus who will be stripped naked and humiliated. On the cross, it will be Jesus' body that will be brutalized and bruised, not with stones, but with the Roman flog, nails, and thorns. On the cross, it will be Jesus who will be crying out in torment and in pain. And it will be Jesus who will be driven into the tombs, driven into the tomb. That is what it costs Jesus to save this demoniac and to save us. And when we see all that Jesus did in order to save us from our sins and to destroy the work of the devil in our lives, when we see Jesus being stripped naked, beaten, nailed to a cross, and driven into a tomb for us, when we see all that Jesus suffered and endured for us, then we begin to see how much Jesus loves us. And when you see how much Jesus loves you, to the point of dying for you, that will move and melt your heart and you'll begin to want to live your life for him and to please him, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. You see, friends, when you realize that Jesus loves you better than any other person in this world, better than your parents, better than your spouse, when you see Jesus loving you like that, you'll want to love him back and to begin to want to live your life to please him and not demons. So we considered the dehumanizing work of deacons and the delivering work of Jesus. Lastly, let's consider the declaring work of the delivered. Now there were two very different responses to Jesus and to what he did in this story. First, there's a response of the people. When the people learned about what Jesus did, and in particular when they heard how 2,000 pigs were were destroyed— they became afraid, and they asked Jesus to, live, uh, to leave them. You see, pigs were big business. 2,000 pigs was worth a lot of money. You have to understand the enormity of the financial loss that happened because of Jesus. But it's tragic that they were more upset about the financial loss than they were thankful about the deliverance from demonic possession that this man had suffered for so long. They were more angry at the financial loss than they were happy at the salvation of this man. And they frankly didn't the salvation of one person was worth that much financial loss. But for Jesus, all the wealth in the world is nothing compared to the value of one human life created in the image of God. In order to save one demon-possessed human being, Jesus was willing to sacrifice an entire herd of pigs, which was a fortune. Jesus knows how much one human being created in the image of God is worth. Humans are so valuable that Jesus was willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs. In fact, he was willing to sacrifice even his own life. Second, there was the response of the the man who was um, delivered from his demonic oppression. Now his response is the complete opposite of the people, isn't it? He was so grateful for all that Jesus did for him. He loved Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. The people wanted Jesus to leave. He wanted to leave with Jesus and be wherever Jesus was. But Jesus told the man, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Jesus told him to go back home, back to his family and friends, uh, the people that he hadn't seen for so long ever since his demonic possession began, and to declare to them how much God had done for him. And do you recognize what, uh, what Luke says? This man went and declared to the whole city what Jesus had done for him. For this man, God and Jesus are one and the same. What God did for him is what Jesus did for him. What Jesus did for him is what God did for him. And Jesus commissioned this ex to be, frankly, a preacher and an evangelist and to go and tell his grace story everywhere. In the same way, everyone who has experienced the grace and the deliverance of our Savior is called to be a preacher and evangelist and to be a grace storyteller. Jesus sends us uh, to people uh, so that we might tell them how much Jesus has done for us. And we are to declare to others what Jesus has done for us, especially to those who know us well, to those who know about our shameful and embarrassing past. A friend of mine has shared with me, he serves as uh, one of our worship leaders, and and he said that um, sometimes when he's leading worship, and he sees someone in, in the congregation from his past who knew what, what, a, what, a, what a bad guy he once used to be, uh, who knew all the foolish and the, and the reckless and the selfish things that he's done. He says he sees that and he begins to feel ashamed and unworthy to, to, to serve Christ because of his past sins. But the people that know the worst about you are the very people that God sends you to. So you might tell them how much God has done for you. Think about this. This ex-demoniac was sent to the very people he once used to terrorize. The very people that used to avoid him because he was a monster. And yet Jesus sends this ex-demoniac to the very people who knew him the best, who knew the worst about him, so that he might tell them how much God has done for him. So, when you see someone who knew you in your past, when you used to do foolish and shameful things, don't be embarrassed or shy or timid to declare that Jesus is your Savior and that you follow Jesus. You are a testimony of how much God can redeem and change a life. You don't bring shame to Christ because of your sins, of your past sins. In fact, you magnify His grace because you are proof that even someone as sinful as you can be redeemed and transformed. Your sinful past does not discredit your faith in Christ. It exalts and magnifies the grace of Christ for sinners, even the chief of sinners. So don't be afraid or ashamed to share your grace story or to share your testimony. Tell people how much God has done for you and let your life be your exhibit A of the proof of God's redeeming and transforming power. So what? What's the takeaway for today? Let me wrap this up. First and foremost, see that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Lord over the physical realm and he's the Lord over the spiritual realm. See and believe that Jesus really is the son of the most high God. You can trust him and you have nothing to fear if Christ is with you and for you. Christ will keep you and protect you from any and all forces that seek to destroy you and he will bring you safely home to his heavenly kingdom one day. He can do it. He will do it because he is the Lord. And second, I want to close with this. Today, if you're sitting here, or maybe you're watching online, and maybe you're not a Christian yet, but maybe you're you're struggling with a sense, like, maybe you feel like your life is too messed up. Maybe you feel like you've made such a big mess of your life that you cannot possibly be saved, that Jesus can't save you. Today, I want to tell you this. No matter how big of a mess you've made of your life, no matter how 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 messy you are, Jesus can save you. Think about this demoniac, this demon-possessed man. Nobody had a more messed up life than his, and Jesus was able to save him and he can save you too. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. No one, not even you. No matter what you've done, no matter what your self-degrading sins may be, Jesus can restore you. No matter how much you might have abused other people, Jesus can forgive you. There is hope for you. Anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus can and will be saved. Let me ask you, Do you want to change? I know I do. I'm sick and tired of being the sinfully angry person. And maybe you want to change too. Maybe you hate what you've become. Maybe you hate who you are. The gospel says that Jesus can change you. You don't have to remain as you are. Repent of your self-degrading and self-dehumanizing sins and trust in Jesus. And he will come into your life by his spirit and he will not only save you, but he will sanctify you and he will restore the image of God in you and make you a more lovely and beautiful person. The Holy Spirit promises to change and renew and transform everyone that comes to Jesus. If Jesus can save and restore this demon-possessed man, he can save and restore you. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this story that we... read today in the Gospel of Luke and and in the salvation and transformation of this demon-possessed man, we find all the hope that we need. When we feel unfixable, when we feel more messed up than, than, than can be fixed, we know that, Jesus, you can heal us and you can restore the image of God in us and you can make us the kind of people we long to be, holy and good and pure. And lovely. So, Lord Jesus, begin a work of grace in us, and by your faithfulness, bring it to completion. Make us more and more like you, Jesus, until the day when we see you as you are, and we will be completely made like you. Amen.